Welcome to Outspoken, a podcast for social change where we talk about current events and how they relate to interpersonal violence and abuse. Outspoken is a project of the Hayes Caldwell Women's Center located in San Marcos, Texas. If you or someone you know has experienced abuse and is seeking support, services, or needs more information, links to resources can be found in our episode description. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the hosts and guests and do not reflect the views of their organizations or affiliates. Welcome to Outspoken, a podcast for social change. I'm Kirsten, and today we have a special guest joining us. It's our first ever interview on this podcast, so welcome. I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Yay, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. My name is Lauren. Um, I'm the dating violence counselor at HCWC. I have been in the area for about seven years now. So I attended Texas State University. I got my degrees in social work and I interned here for my grad school and then got hired on as a counselor. Thank you for being here. It's exciting to be doing our first ever interview. So before we start, I'm going to give a content warning. We will be discussing dating violence and abuse in relationships. Um, Our last episode, we talked a lot about healthy relationships and dating violence. February is Dating Violence Awareness Month, so we're going to be continuing that topic a little bit and answer some of those questions from our last podcast episode. So our first question for you, Lauren, can you describe your job and who you serve? So I am the dating violence counselor here at HCWC. So I work mainly with teens and adolescents. My goal through the position is to work with those experiencing dating violence or those who've previously experienced dating violence. Um, But in addition to that, I do work with those who've experienced sexual assault or witness to domestic violence in the home. A lot of my clients are from Texas State University. That's a big portion of who I see. But I also do outreach counseling at a couple different campuses. So I go to Gary Job Corps, which is a vocational school for ages 16 to 24. Those are at-risk youth. And then I also do group counseling at Live Oak Academy in Kyle. So the kids over there at that high school. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's a lot. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for doing all of that. I know our community really appreciates it. Oh, I love it. Um, Why do you feel like Dating Violence Awareness Month is important? I think it's really important um, because I think dating violence tends to get overlooked sometimes because a lot of focus is on domestic violence. That's like a big word. A lot of people have heard of that or family violence. But it's really important to put emphasis on dating violence because A lot of the times we are focusing on those younger individuals who are entering into some of their first relationships. So if we're looking at teens and adolescents, a lot of them do not have the best examples of what healthy love looks like. So they are exploring on their own. They are very vulnerable. They're still developing. They are experiencing a lot of outside influence such as peer pressure, or they're learning through social media. Um, A lot of them are wanting to grow and experience some of this adulthood very early on. And so that includes being in a relationship. 
doing risky behaviors, growing up quickly. So they're very vulnerable and in that situation, it can get dangerous. Um, it can be very hard on them as they're trying to learn as they go. And so it's really important that we are teaching them what that healthy love looks like, um, breaking down some of those misconceptions that they have about dating and just being a support and mentor for them as they're going through these relationships. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure there are a lot of parents who are unsure of how to navigate these things with their teens and and young adults and their young adult children. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What are some of the signs to look out for that indicate that dating violence or an unhealthy relationship is occurring? Mm -hmm. Good question. I feel like with this one, there's kind of two categories whenever I think about it, because there's a category for signs to look out for that could be indicative of dating violence, but could also be signs of other traumas going on. And then there's a category of those that are more specific to dating violence. So for instance, if you are noticing that your child is isolating a lot more, maybe not hanging out with their friends anymore, not doing things that they used to enjoy, spending a lot of time in their room or on their phone. Um, maybe you notice mood swings, like a lot more irritation or anxiety or just overall feeling very emotional. Those are signs that you can look out for. Now with those type of signs, that could potentially be due to bullying. It could be due to um, not being able to fully process a separation in the family or something else that's going on. So with those kind of situations, no matter if it's dating violence or something else that's happening in their lives, it's a great opportunity just to point out the observations that you're making. You know, being there, saying, hey, I'm noticing this is going on. Is there anything you want to talk about? Opening up that conversation for them to share. Right, exactly. Now, there's other things that might be more specific towards dating violence, such as if you're noticing like bruising, uh, any type of bruising, feeling anxious or scared of how their partner is going to respond to something, feeling that they have to text their partner back as quickly as possible. Those are some signs that could very well mean that this is a controlling or abusive relationship. But overall, there's a lot that a parent might be noticing, but we're not always sure what the cause is. So like you mentioned earlier, it's just a good opportunity to open that up and see what's going on and be supportive. I would imagine for a lot of parents too, that that could be potentially kind of an uncomfortable conversation mm -hmm. to initiate with their children, especially if they haven't done that before. Right. Do you have any thoughts on like how to initiate or how to facilitate a conversation like that? as a yeah. caretaker. Yeah, and see, I've, I've done some research in the past and a lot of people say that sitting your child down at a table and saying, hey, this is what I'm seeing, I don't like your partner, you need to leave this relationship, 
usually does not go very well. Yeah, I would imagine not. <laughs> like it's very, that's very intimidating. It comes off very judgmental. And a lot of people in abusive relationships are very protective of their abusive partner. Absolutely. So that approach may not be the most successful. So I, I think what can be helpful is figuring out what works best for your child what they respond well to. But overall, going in non-judgmental, pointing out the observations that you have, simply saying, hey, I'm noticing this is happening. Is there anything that you want to talk about? I think it's also really helpful to identify more of the behaviors of the abusive partner rather than him or her or they individually. Because if I say your partner, this person, is a bad person, they're automatically going to want to defend them. But if you say, hey, I'm noticing that you always have to respond right away to this person, I'm worried that that is somewhat controlling. Like if you're pointing out the behavior, it sometimes helps them feel less judged and defensive and they can address that specific behavior. That's sometimes a more soft approach. It sounds more curious than mm-hmm. like pointing a finger at. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you're approaching the conversation with like a more curious tone and an observation, yeah. like you said, like observation mm-hmm. versus putting yeah. somebody on the defensive. And I would yeah. imagine too is, I can remember being a teen. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's like this natural, little bit rebellious nature too that when I'm, I remember feeling defensive and doing something because I was feeling defensive, not necessarily because I wanted to. So I, I, yeah, for teens to have a parent who's coming into a conversation more curious and loving and supportive, I would imagine can facilitate a really healthy conversation. And it can be uncomfortable. I feel like to leaning into the discomfort is okay. Yes. And I like that you brought up your experiences as a teenager and kind of having that risky behavior, rebelliousness, right? And I think that's important for us to remind parents of is that is completely normal for their psychological development. They're going to want to, um, you know, be a little bit more risky. They're going to want to do things on their own. They're going to want to push away from parental authority. Like they care a lot about peer acceptance right now, getting someone to like them, feeling popular. Those are their priorities. So considering that they're, they may not respond the way a very healthy adult will, you know, remembering that they're still a teen or they're still an adolescent, they're still learning and they're still growing. Right. So just being supportive and educating them, like going back to your question of what are some approaches to take? I think providing that education is also really important for parents to try to do is as they're pointing out these observations, even some self-disclosure, you know, mentioning, hey, when I was your age, I remember I had a partner who would do those things, too. And it didn't make me feel very good. How do you feel when they do that? Sure. Bringing in those experiences. I know we hear a lot from teens too that they feel like adults don't take them seriously. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious how caretakers, how adults, how parents can show support and guidance while also respecting and allowing their teen 
to learn how to trust themselves and the decisions that they make. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that topic. I think that it can be difficult, though, right? As a parent, like I try to step into their shoes. I can only imagine as a parent having that fear of watching this baby grow up and go on their own and experience these different things. It can be very scary, right? Yeah. Something that um, I've seen other parents do or I've worked with parents um, to try to do is really helping their child feel like they're in control and included in decision making. So for instance, I love that. Yeah. So if you are trying to convince your teen of a decision, rather than tell them that they have to do this because you feel that it's best for them, maybe just talk to them about, well, what do you think are some options? Include them in that discussion. Let them be a part of it. You know, you are a big part of their confidence because you're the one who's saying, hey, you did such a good job with this. Or, hey, I'm so proud of that decision you made. So helping them make those decisions while also providing that support and validation, telling them that you're proud of them when they do something good, oh, it makes such a big difference. What a beautiful way to approach a teenager. Yeah. That's amazing. What would you say for, so we're talking about teens, what would you say for like adult children? Yeah. So in a way, they're very similar, right? So I think something to consider with adult children is they are a little more autonomous. So they are able to make a lot of the decisions on their own. So that can also be difficult for parents to accept is that they're an adult and they're going to make their own decisions a lot of the time. So it can feel very helpless for a caretaker knowing that they can't really do anything about it right yeah and so i think something that could be helpful in addition to what we mentioned with the teens is just being a consistent safety net and so what i mean by that is we see so often when people are in abusive relationships their friends and their family push them away you know, they give up on them. Um, it can be very hard being a secondary survivor and constantly supporting your loved one who's in an abusive situation. So we see that happen a lot to where they end up with nobody. And so they get out of that relationship and they have no friends. Their family already cut them off. Yeah, so it's very isolating. Yes, it's very isolating. And Think of it this way. If you know that when you leave that person, you're going to have nobody, it kind of makes you want to stay, right? Because at least you have somebody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So being consistently there for them and supportive, that way they know, hey, my mom is always going to be there for me. No matter what I do, she loves me, right? That is so huge. And so I think that could be something that you can do for those adult children of yours is you really can't make them do anything, but you can constantly remind them that you're there for them. I can't imagine how difficult it would be for a caretaker or a parent to see their teen, their adult child going through something like that. Do you have any advice as far as setting boundaries for the caretaker, the parent, a boundary for themselves, and still supporting their child. Yeah, I feel like this one can be difficult. Again, it's really case by case. 
um, but recognizing what your limit is as a secondary survivor uh, it's important to be in tune with yourself recognizing what your limit is what you're able to handle how much mentally and emotionally you're able to give right because if someone's always coming to you and saying this is happening they're doing this to me like i'm so sad and you're always giving them that support it can be draining or it can be draining to constantly try to help them or maybe they're not quite ready to accept that help and so recognizing what your limit is communicating that to your loved one like hey i'm always going to be here for you but i get very drained when i hear the vivid details of what's going on right like that's triggering yeah that's a good way to phrase that Mm -hmm. so recognizing what it is you're able to hear um, what it is you're able to do as far as helping this individual and just communicating that to them communication can go a long way this also makes me think of just being a friend and supporting your friend that's in an abusive relationship i feel like the things that you just shared for how to like assess your own boundaries and communicate them while also being supportive can apply to that type of relationship as well. Yeah, most definitely. And I think that tends to be the one that I hear the most. I, Mm. from my experience with my clients, they do tend to have conflict with their family members, but majority of the time it's the friends that end up Mm. leaving or it's the friends that get really frustrated or it's really sad for them to see their friend going through this so I think it can be really difficult it can be triggering and if they have their own experiences with this type of violence to hear it or to see that their friend's going through it if you know you were in an abusive relationship right now and I had that experience previously and I was telling you hey I've been there I know what it's like you know this is potentially going down a really dark path and you continue to do it because you're not quite ready to make that change it could be really hard for me as the friend to watch you do that and so I I agree I think it's just really difficult Um, but here at HCWC we actually provide services for secondary survivors so we can do counseling for loved ones friends family parents if you are someone who doesn't really know how to support a victim or a survivor, we can help with that. It's probably tempting, especially if you've gone through it yourself or you've seen someone else go through it, to look at your friend and say you need to leave mm-hmm. and pressuring them to try to get out of a relationship. Yes, I, I completely agree. It's like anything, right? Um, think of it as if I accidentally touched a hot stove and I know it's going to burn me if I touch it again and then I see you reach over to touch the stove, I'm going, of course, to say, don't touch the stove. Don't do it. Don't it burn hurts. yourself. Yeah. Right. I know it's going to hurt, so I'm trying to help you. But when it comes to dating violence, it's a little bit different. Um, something that I've just learned through my career is you really just have to be patient mm. and We are not here, even me as a counselor, it is not my job to tell someone they have to leave. I will never tell somebody that they have to leave a relationship. I am just here to help them process what they're going through and give them the tools. That way, when they're ready, they can do that on their own. 
So what tools do you use to help young people realize they're in a dating violence situation or unhealthy relationship? Yeah. So one thing that I really like to do that I think you guys as the educators use is utilizing the relationship spectrum. I think Mm -hmm. that is a great tool because it's a visual. It gives you a spectrum of behaviors that you will see in healthy, unhealthy, and abusive relationships. So I love to give this to my clients and I help them searching through those behaviors and picking which one best matches their relationship. I love to use that one. I also like to make it fun from time to time. I'm working with teens. I'm working with adolescents. You got to keep them entertained, right? So I like to use like uh, celebrity couples or movies or TV shows or people in social media that they're recognizing. And then they are able to look at that couple and point out what they've noticed in their relationship. And then they'll say, Miss Lauren or Lauren, I think this is unhealthy or no, no, that's abusive. Right. So they're learning. And then something also that I'm very cautious of is especially with younger clients, because they are very um, protective of that abusive partner. They're still developing, they're learning, they're having alliances, right? They may not be ready to openly say my relationship is unhealthy, but we are planting the seed. And now when they go back to that relationship and maybe they're hanging out and their partner demands to look through their phone, they're going to remember that relationship spectrum and they're going to say, hmm, that was in the unhealthy you know, portion or that was in the abusive portion. And it's going to make them a lot more self-aware of how their relationship really is. That's great. Would you recommend parents or caretakers utilize a tool like that as well in their conversations with their children? Yes, most definitely. And it could even be helpful for the parents because not every parent knows this and we shouldn't expect every parent to know this. It is completely okay if you as a grown adult or as a parent does not know every single thing about dating violence or domestic violence. That's okay. That's what we're here for is to teach you guys. And so I think it would be healthy and helpful if it's almost collaborative, like I as the parent am learning with you, my child, let's do this together. I'm like cheering over here. That takes so much pressure off of parents and caretakers. There's, I feel like there's a lot of pressure to know it all and to allow yourself the freedom to learn alongside your child, your teen, your young adult, I feel like is, can create a lot of freedom in that relationship. I agree. Like there are thousands of parenting books out there, but that doesn't mean you're going to read a book and automatically be the perfect parent. Like there's no such thing, right? Like every parent makes mistakes. Every parent has their strengths. Every parent has things that they can work on and improve on. And so I completely agree with you. It takes off a lot of pressure. And I think, you know, you bring up a good point of when they don't know some of these things, it's probably really hard on a parent and they probably blame themselves when their child enters into these abusive relationships or if they're bullied or something's going on, those parents really internalize that sometimes. And so I think that educating them and reassuring them that they don't have to know every single thing can be really helpful. How 
how can youth learn about healthy relationships? So there's a couple of different ways I want to approach this question, actually. So I kind of want to start off with ways that they're learning that may not be helpful. Mm. So a big way that they're learning is through their peers, through social media, and TV shows or books, okay? So a lot of those examples may be really good, but a lot of them may also be really bad or not as healthy as we want it to be. And so if they don't have the best examples at home, they're gonna go looking for that example. And that may not always be the one that we want them to see or the one we want them to learn from. In the home, the child is learning through everything they see and hear. It's social learning theory, right? They're observing, they're mirroring, and they're picking up off of everything that they're noticing. So if a child is growing up in a household where no one is hugging each other, saying I love you, being affectionate, being there for one another, they are learning from that experience. If they're in a home where every time they made a mistake, they were hit or screamed at or kicked out of the house, they're also learning through those experiences. It normalizes those behaviors. Exactly. And they are going to take that, whether they're conscious of it or not, they're going to take that into their own future relationships and somehow it's going to come out. And so it's really important that if that's the case, that they have some other example or role model that can help balance that out and replace the unhelpful with something that is helpful. So for instance, us going to schools, I know that's a big thing that you do is going to agencies or schools, providing trainings, providing education, talking to these kids. What I do, I go to different organizations. I work with the kids. I'm teaching them. I'm processing with them, right? Teachers, teachers are a great example of a model who's seeing them every day, who can teach them what affection looks like by simply saying, hey, how are you? How is your day? Wow, your project turned out amazing, right? They're a really good example not all the time, but can be a really good example. Uh, coaches could also be a good example. People um, in churches or extracurricular activities, even friends or parents of your friends, right? There's plenty of opportunity out there for unhealthy or unhelpful examples, but there's also plenty of opportunity for healthy and very helpful examples. That's fantastic. We talk about role models a lot and we talk about role models in the media as well. I mean, we're just oversaturated with things, whether it comes to what we read and social media and movies and TV shows. There's so many things influencing, especially teens. Yeah. Well, and something that I wanted to bring up, you kind of just triggered a thought for me. I've noticed on social media that a lot of times there's influencers who can pass along these movements or these messages. And I feel like that can be really, really helpful. If there's a really positive, helpful influencer on TikTok or Instagram or whatever the platform is, they have the privilege, the power to provide this message for all of their followers. 
But at the same time, it can be the quite opposite, right? They could be Mm. giving messages that aren't very helpful, right? And so I think it's really important that someone is at least there to help them process what it is they're learning online or through social media. Because again, there's just so many misconceptions. Mm. We talk a lot about establishing or learning about healthy relationships and normalizing healthy relationships because... It seems that the idea of healthy relationships, like you talked about the spectrum, we do use that a lot um, on our education team. And I feel like a lot of people see some of the characteristics of a healthy relationship and view that as, oh, that's just a really high standard versus it being something that's just healthy and normalizing it in a healthy relationship. Do you feel like there's an unlearning process if somebody grows up in a home, like you mentioned, where those behaviors, those healthy behaviors are not normalized. Absolutely. And that's actually something that we do in counseling is reframing thought process and core beliefs, right? So through all of those experiences that they have and those interactions with other people, they're developing a core belief. So for instance, a core belief could be all men are bad, Mm. right? I need to fear men. Men will never treat me the way I want to be treated. And so now that's developing this avoidance, this avoidant attachment. Um, I'll never find someone who's going to love me. I don't deserve healthy love. So now they're settling for much less, right? And so that's a big part of counseling is reframing and changing those beliefs to one that's realistic and helpful for you, one that's going to help you reach your goals, empower you, not limit you and punish you. Yeah. Would you say that it's similar? So say somebody, we know that abuse is very complex. Being in an abusive relationship is a very complex situation. Say that somebody does um, get to a point where they make the decision to leave. What does that process kind of look like for healing after an abusive relationship? Yes, it can look different for um, different people. Um, I've seen some clients who, as soon as they're out of that relationship, it's like a, a switch has just been flipped. Like it's a complete 180. I've seen other clients who stay very stuck in um a really dark place because even if the relationship was abusive they may have been very attached to that person and so losing them is very painful and they go through a grieving process and i think a lot of people don't realize leaving a a big relationship like that is like losing someone through like illness or someone who's passed away you have to grieve that Mm. relationship and that is a whole process right but overall there's there's definitely different things that I've seen so validating yourself and your experiences is a big part of that journey breaking down the core beliefs that were developed through that relationship and reframing them to be more helpful to you increasing your support systems and coping skills because a lot of those things are probably lost through the relationship and then working with we have an advocacy team that's really helpful working with people like that that can help you get back on your feet whether that's finding a job 
uh, finding your own housing, getting into programs that are going to help you achieve your goals, right? So you're just getting back on track, getting your life back in hand, right? Loving yourself. That's a huge part of that journey is just loving yourself. You may have to learn how to do that again. Yes, 100%. I think that that's a very common thing that I see with my clients who've been in abusive relationships is that they don't. They don't love themselves or they do, but it's very little. And there's kind of that correlation there is if you don't love yourself, you don't believe that you're deserving of good things then it's going to be very hard to leave abusive relationships Mm. because you believe you deserve that. You believe that that's all you're ever going to get. So if we work on that confidence, the self-love, self-worth, that's going to be tremendously helpful in that journey. Yeah. Um, We may have touched on this a little bit, but for the perspective of a caregiver, parent, or friend, what would you say for them? um, How can they best support somebody after they leave an abusive relationship? Mm -hmm. I'd say for one, just being there, being present, right? So we mentioned earlier that a lot of people lose those relationships when they're in these kind of relationships. So they lose friends or their family, you know, cuts them off. So being present, being there, being maybe open to listen, to the things that they went through, obviously with boundaries set, but that person is likely going to want to share that experience because it was very difficult and they Mm -hmm. were probably suffering in silence for a long time. So they may be wanting to talk about things, being present, being there for them and trying to almost create a normal routine. Like, hey, let's go to the mall or let's go see a movie or do you want to go for a walk? Like, Getting them back into a routine, getting them to do stuff that they enjoy again, um, validating them for making that big decision, right? Just being validating there for them. is huge. Validation is huge. It's very powerful. Yeah. yeah. Listening, believing, and supporting them. Right. Right. Thank you for all of your insight. Uh, yeah. Is there anything else that you would like to add regarding? healthy relationships, dating violence. Mm -hmm. I would like to add that this is an issue that affects all genders, all sexualities, all ages, even though like today we're focusing more on young individuals. This is something that affects everybody. This is not just a straight girls issue that they're the only victims out there. That is not true. There are plenty of men, non-binary individuals who are also victims. There are some who are more at risk than others, but this can certainly affect anybody. So there's a lot of people out there that believe that only women can be victims of abuse. And only men can be perpetrators. And only men can be perpetrators, right? Like those are misconceptions Mm -hmm. that it's important that we break those down and educate people on, right? There's a lot of pressure, I think, on just boys, like young boys or men being the perfect partner. They can never make mistakes, right? But if we're also compassionate towards them, showing them love and affection, because guess what? A lot of them are probably not getting that because men, boys are taught to be tough. 
They're yeah. taught to not have emotions. They can't be weak. They can't ask for help. They can't be a victim. Absolutely. Right? And the only emotion is anger. The only emotion is anger, right? Yeah. So we're almost setting them up in a way to mm-hmm. be perpetrators. If we show them love and compassion and understanding the way we want to show our, our girls and our women, I think that it would be really helpful if we just showed everybody love and compassion and understanding. Like, I mean, we start today, right? Like, we started yesterday. Like, this is an issue that we're trying to definitely raise awareness of. I love, like, you guys, our prevention team. I feel like you'll have such a hard but very significant job. And the more that we are providing that education and we're being there for our youth, they're more likely to grow up to have healthy, loving relationships. Thank you again to Lauren for joining us on this episode. If you or someone you know is in an unhealthy or abusive relationship, you can learn more about supporting yourself or others at stopthehurt.org. Resources, including the relationship spectrum, as mentioned in this episode, will be linked in the show notes. That brings us to the end of our episode. Until next time, speak up, speak out, and be outspoken.